If you are anything like me, listener, you are probably very concerned and or interested in the growing radical bimbo movement online. What is it? Who is it? What do these bimbos want? And what is the theoretical basis of their worldview? Okay, I kid. There isn't exactly a full-blown bimbo movement yet, but I have noticed in recent months that the word bimbo is being reappropriated by a number of women on the internet in a way that isn't exactly what I think the Wokies would like it to be. I myself, for quite a long time though, have suspected that there would be some sort of quote-unquote reactionary movement to arise um, amongst women who got tired of living in swipe world and or just became openly hostile to virtual sexuality and, uh, let's say the ambiguities of male feminism. I've jokingly referred to this conflict as the coming pussy crash, and it will be covered in a future video essay slash in a chapter of my book entitled Sexual Singularities, which will be out later this year, inshallah. Actually, for those of you who are keeping track, there will be an announcement about what's going on with the book on the 28th, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, it behooveths me, as the future supreme leader of the internet, to talk to any and all rising bimbo jihadistas, and so I shall. Before we get into that, um, something occurred to me in the editing of this episode. Uh, I spent a lot of time um, talking with my guest about our mutual disdain of the quote-unquote left and what it has become due to its reductive and punitive nature. You see, what you hear a lot, and I'm going to be a little reductive myself here, um, what you hear a lot from the woke left constantly now is a call to become something less. Check your privilege, don't be toxic, don't manspread, don't mansplain, don't be ableist, deconstruct, decolonize, uh, discombobulate into atoms, uh, be vegan, eat mulch, uh, anything less is a form of toxic entitlement, and so on and so forth. Um, in other words, become something smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller so that eventually you can fit into a future bug world where all negativity has been abolished in favor of some nebulous idea of safety. As someone who has spent the last two years of his life, however, advocating for UBI, does occur to me now more than ever, with Andrew Yang being the frontrunner in the New York mayoral race, that UBI could indeed be a Trojan horse, just not for the things you normally hear it being a Trojan horse for. I think that it is possible that UBI could be a Trojan horse for the Amazonification of everything. That much is true. In fact, I think it's the only good argument against UBI that I've ever heard, that it could actually just end up becoming Bezos bucks. As it stands now, most of our stimulus checks are basically just Bezos bucks. So I'm willing to concede that that's an unfortunate likelihood. But I also want to say that UBI done right could be the basis for the fulfillment of an older, much better, more robust, uh, less punitive form of American leftism. And that is to say the Every Man a King platform of Huey Long. Yes, that's right, motherfuckers. I'm talking about Yang Longism. Big Daddy Yang Huey Longdongism might be the answer to our immediate 21st century problems. I don't have the time or patience to get into the logistics of Yang Longdongism, as we have a podcast to get to. I just want you, the listener, to know that I feel that Longdong deep inside me still, and I want you all to consider and remain conscious of this dichotomy as UBI and other forms of permanent stimulus become more and more common and even necessary, that there are two paths that the UBI story could take, 
one that could be a power grab for the elite, and one that could be the building blocks for a castle for the working class. So with that said, let's get into it, because joining me shortly is a Baroness of Uber Binbodom herself to help me finally figure out what is and is not certified bum. The official podcast of Schizotopia.net. As always, I'm your host, Maxwell Cody, and joining me today, the undisputed Bimbo Femperer herself, our own Megadonna Sovereign, the illustrious Overlordess, Miss Sandra Solomon. Sandra, how are you? Um, I'm doing pretty well. I just walked my dogs um, in the neighborhood, and then I came back. I had some sunny side up eggs um i have a bowl of fruit i didn't eat yet yeah that's me i'm trying to i have two meals a day because i want to stay uh the same weight and no gyms are open so that's that's why less less than a minute in i'm already getting the bimbo ubermensch vibes okay i'm I'm feeling the lifestyle all right sandra let's let's stop mm-hmm. bullshitting okay who are you and who made you queen of the bimbo ubermenches or as i like to call them bums um honestly that was a self-imposed title um mm. because basically what happened was i got so bored and so demoralized from not having any work in my industry that i resurrected my twitter account in late October and I was like I love bimbos um somebody on Instagram said bimbos are uber mention <laughs> so I was like okay time to go with bimbo uber in all caps because why not um because I was tired I don't go to I don't have a priest to talk to so I use Twitter and um this is where I vent and also a friend of mine, Barrett Avner, referred to me as a, the first Nietzschean bimbo vitalist or <laughs> the patron saint of Nietzschean bimbo vitalism. So I decided to take it upon myself to be a Nietzschean bimbo vitalist. I mean, just See, accept the title that was accept, like imposed I, on me. You, 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 have to, you have to create your own values, right? You have to, part of being the, the uber-mensch is you, you, um, you have to take power for yourself. You have to take meaning for yourself. Um, you know, most folks do not see the world of professionally good-looking people uh, that you are uh, part of is having much in the way of philosophical contemplation. But uh, I think we have a, a, a pretty obvious exception here. Um, uh, with you and this philosophy of bimbo vitalism for the person on the street for just your 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 regular bimbo 
what is bimbo vitalism? Basically, it's just this acknowledgement that uh, nature imparts a lot of power and that people are more than their brain and that sometimes the most powerful things in life are not methodically oriented or like, you know, really just based on sheer brain power. I mean, for 99% of human history, the people who were really powerful were like, I don't know, warlords or basically who understood the art of war, the art of fighting, the art of virility and strength. Master morality. Precisely. And now what we have, we're living in an era where, I mean, there were definitely other points in history where that was the case, where it was just, it's just a bunch of technocrats who run everything and um, they're pencil necked. And I guess they might be correct technically, but are they right? Are they actually good for people? I mean, in their pursuit of making everything clean cut, sterile and orderly, I mean, they can impart a lot of harm in the process too. I think that we should deviate from that credentialism and from that vulgar efficiency and understand the power of beauty. That's what I would tell a bimbo on the street. So, okay, so what I'm getting here is that the existence of a bimbo ubermensch kind of implies the existence of a himbo untermensch. Himbo untermensch. Um, person, yes. Well, himbos, I think himbos are, you know, there's, there's a male counterpart or equivalent um, to the bimbo ubermensch. And that's basically, um, I wouldn't just say like, I guess, I guess you could say, the the right wing bodybuilder is the predecessor to that. Although a lot of them are cheesy as hell. Okay, I think maybe I think maybe that maybe another way to put it maybe uh, himbo is the wrong word because it kind of implies like a meathead, right? I guess I'm talking more about like who who we would think of as being like beta or soy boy or something like that. Like oh like, yeah yeah they they wouldn't be himbos then. Right, that right, would, right. Yeah, himbo. The himbo is the male equivalent to the bimbo, and um, yeah, no, because himbo untermensch. The, the, there's a paradox in that that doesn't make. It's an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. You can't be a himbo and an untermensch. You have you have to be an, an untermensch or a himbo, but you can't be both. I don't think. All right. Um, I mean, th- thank you for clarifying the hierarchy for me. Oh yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> gosh um yeah there there are i guess i guess people who are into just like arguments supporting or advocating for vulgar efficiency people who basically embody uh the decline um people who have a complete and utter rejection of all things beautiful yeah that's that's intervention i guess I guess everybody has some parts of that inside of them, right? Like a duality. Mm-hmm. But some people certainly embrace that more than others. I mean, I think a great example of, I guess if we're talking in the online world of intervention or people who just really, really, I guess like aspirationally managerial dilettantes or people who are in the Jacobin or Verso loft with, um, who are like, have man titties and put like um, a hammer and sickle in their bio um 
Vouch. Are you talking about Vouch? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, Vouch is the embodiment of it. Is the is the untermen, is an untermensch like peak I, 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 I always say that Vouch is the singularity of SJWs and neckbeards. Like if you combined like the the Reddit libertarian atheist guy with like the the hardline kind of SJW. Uh, liberal lefty politics, you you get you get vouched almost exactly right. And it's, yeah, exactly. And what's really disturbing is he is the prototype for everyone else. Like this is the direction we're headed in. And like I thought, um, Curtis Yarvin, aka Mencius Moldbug, was kind of silly in the past for saying something in the, of the likes of like, oh, you know, the corporation swims left. Because the action, and I was like, that's silly. That doesn't make any sense. But if you think about it, the way the corporation is actually swimming is the way the actually existing left is, which to me is basically some Bostonian Amazon bucks, DSA to DNC pipeline sort of neoliberalism. And, and Vouch is like the sort of person that would work in service of that paradigm like yeah we will we will come back to the collapse of men i do i do want to um (laughs) i do want to throw some some philosophical quandaries at you um, oh my goodness and uh, and get your your queenly take on them Uh, how do you define purely aesthetic versus purely pragmatic if, if such a thing is possible sandra hmm well, I think every movement, every organization, and everything is aesthetically inclined in some capacity, so you might as well do it well. Um, I guess purely aesthetic is something that's just... Everything has an aesthetic. It's just what, which aesthetic and which moral set of values are you going for? Well, this... this uh, uh... Uh, bimbo vitalism that I'm that I'm trying uh, to understand. It, it seems like there's a uh, or, what, or what I'm getting from you is a a strong desire for the purely aesthetic and a, and a lot of contempt for the kind of like techie utilitarianism that seems to rule the day. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, the thing is, I'm I actually follow and I'm friends with people who have segments of tech optimism in their life, but the thing is it's not hope for the aggregate whole but like they're individual actors who are trying to make the best of a shitty situation like taking advantage of what they call remote work nationalism for the time before (laughs) i always say this their jobs are outsourced to you know people in like india or whatever and then they move to miami (laughs) and then they work there or something and i i think that's beautiful um, and I'd say that's kind of pragmatic in a way, but also uh, aesthetically inclined, you know, in a, in a positive sense. So, so a happy middle ground. Yeah, a happy middle ground. I guess the possible. only problem with that is when they move to Miami, all of their friends will move to Miami and they'll change Miami. And then Miami We'll become, we'll, we'll become San Francisco. Exactly. And it's sad because San Francisco is actually quite beautiful if it weren't for, you know, just 
pretty much no one being able to afford a home. Uh, and Basically, when I s- yeah, sorry, go on. My bad. And when, when I say San Francisco, I don't mean the cool back in the day of San Francisco. I mean the current uh, uh, technified um, hobo shit-stained uh, <laughs> techie dystopia that it's become in it's, a very yeah. short amount of time. And it's very sad because you see the homes and you're like, this is so beautiful. And it's such a damn shame that there's piss and shit on the street. And then there's this like anemic asshole, like sauntering in his overly priced like condo with his girlfriend who he thinks is like an eight, but is actually a five. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just a 10 for a, a, an 11 for him to be fair yes it's a sad like sausage fest like it's just reddit i but in person I, I lived in the bay area for seven years and i got to watch this transformation um wow it, you know it, the city going from being kind of hippie punk you know multicultural city to being a, a pretty monolithic uh, google google town and the last time i was there um it was literally uh what were those electronic um scooters i can't remember what the brand was called but it was just all of those um all of those electronic scooters like all of these like kind of uh manhattan uh, almost Wall Street looking kind of techies on these scooters, literally driving through piles of um, homeless people's shit on the street. It's really quiet something else. I mean, were you were you in the mission? Because when I was dating somebody who was who lived there, he lived in the mission and it was just stunning to see Dolores Park, right? Mm-hmm. And how beautiful I- that is. And then you just go down the street and you're on Market Street kind of close to the tenderloin in a way and it's like shit everywhere it, like, it was it, it, it is like i'm there, there is no i'm making no exaggeration here when i would the, the last time i was in the mission there was literally like new like techie consulting you know um startup businesses that were all yeah. like had all this like ergonomic weird technological furniture and computer flat screens inside and then immediately outside there was literally like an inch of shit just smeared across the entire street because there was so much homeless poop in 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 the streets it was like it was the exact cyberpunk contrast that would be if you put it in like a movie it would be like silly to have that like a uh, tale of two cities type of type of contrast between the homeless and the um the emerging tech elite I'm starting to believe that, like, because it's interesting to watch this from the outside looking in, and I think Canada in many ways is an accelerated version of the States, but also, like, staving off certain parts of the decline, certain parts of the Brazilification. It's really weird because they have a lot in common, but they're also very different countries. Um, And I'm just, like, I'm starting to actually find some attraction to Dmitry Orlov's predictions for the U.S. and it's really slow decline but when it happens it's it's like the Brazilification sans any of the sexiness of Brazil and it's just like <laughs> really could it be the Miamiification or no because the techies will ruin Miami <sighs> um 
Yeah, I mean, Miami is another example of a place where that's happening. But truthfully, this is happening to every mid-sized city outside of the large, the large uh, primate cities like New York or LA um, or San Francisco in this case, just because it's so expensive. But what they do is they move to mid-sized cities along the East Coast, and they'll they'll do this to the Middle East. Middle East of America, aka the Midwest. I call it the Middle East. But if you look at the Triangle area where I'm from, North Carolina, they, they've they decided the spill off from New York and San Francisco, they have put their startups there in Durham mm-hmm. when Durham was the hood of back then. And back then, and they're taking all these quaint mill homes, right? And they're just I don't even know how to describe it. They're just driving up the prices. The infill homes are really ugly. And I mean, like, it's happening everywhere. This onslaught of global homogenization is going to come to your backyard. I don't know where you live, per se, but like, it's... Uh, San San Diego, America's finest city. San Diego. I mean, isn't San Diego also expensive as hell? I'm sure you have people from LA and, you know, I don't know, La Jolla. I mean, as Just, as, as San Diego slowly becomes absorbed by Los Angeles, it, it won't get much better. Um, I mean, I, I don't plan on living here for the rest of my life, unfortunately, even though it is my home city. I actually spoke to um, a woman at Irish immigration today to see if I can actually claim, I might be eligible for Irish citizenship. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, not. by a, by a like heritage or something like. If you yeah. I, I might, I might be just barely eligible for, for, for birthright citizenship. So if I can get that, I will gladly take it. Well, inshallah, you can become an Irish citizen. But even Angela Nagel has written extensively about the techification of Dublin. It's insane. And it's like, you know, people, I, I worry about Ireland as well. Like, this is happening to Ireland too. Unless if you go, I don't know, to Cork. It's funny because my, I believe my my uh, great grandfather was from Cork, and I was actually just about to say I think I would be headed uh, to Cork. Yeah, because Dublin also seems to be a shithole at this point. I have a friend who studied at Trin. I I'm sure you know this person, and yeah, he's seeing it too. He's seeing like the the like importation of the California ideology just oh, infiltrate. Maybe maybe the future of Irish republicanism won't be the reconquest of the North, but the reconquest of Dublin. <laughs> I think that's what it's looking like. You know, people <laughs> people from the so from the hinterlands, or you know, they they increasingly do not have any respect for their cities. The thing with cities is, I think cities were beautiful, respect respectable places because there was actually a certain character and charm and creative output that was specific to that individual place to, and it had a certain vernacular construct, right? But mm-hmm. now every place is a corporate campus with a Whole Foods, you know? 
And my fear is in the future, we'll live in a simultaneously supranational and neocameral patchwork of like corporate campuses, where basically if you work on a campus, you will be part of a managerial salariate class who gets to be afforded the rights of a pretty nice-ish nice serfdom experience under your corporate lord. Mm-hmm. And you'll have Amazon bucks. Like this is the dream of somebody like AOC, in my humble opinion. But if you're not working there, you will be it's, living it's, in a tenement if you're I, lucky. I think. Yeah, I was just going to say the, the your your terrifying dystopia is actually a little optimistic. The the take that I always give about this is that um, for most of history, the elites lived in the cities, and you know the the surf population more or less who were who were 90% of of the society uh lived out in the country and that was the divide that was the the rural urban divide after the end of world war 2 um especially in the united states we had massive suburbanization where the elites actually started to leave the cities the, the cities hollowed out the cities became um uh you know ghettos and dangerous places that nobody wanted to live and it's really it's a real historical anomaly um, that we all kind of in the last century accepted as being normal. And now that it seems to be flipping back to the norm, actually, albeit in a new uh, uh, technologically uh, sophisticated way, it is a return to the norm. The elites will live in the cities once again. The cities will be guarded. The cities will have, you know, drones protecting the, the automated Whole Foods and stuff like that. And everybody else will be out living in the ruins of the suburbs as, um, I don't know. Subsistence farmers? What jobs will they I, be? I don't know if that's Maybe true because I feel, like, I feel like the problem, the only problem with that hypothesis is even, even the proles are moving to the city. The city has just gotten bigger. The city has reclaimed, yes. um, has, you know, annexed part, like annexed the hinterlands or like the slums, right? And yeah, they're part of the city. I think there's a concerted effort to make everybody move to the city, just the way economies are structured. I think that most everyone will live in a city and get shoved into an apartment with multiple roommates or like a little or a home. I think there will be a reversion to multi-gen living, which in some ways is kind of nice. It's already happened. Yeah. Most certainly. Um, But almost Soviet-like in a way. But, you know, I just, I don't really know if people, I think it's going to be increasingly difficult to be a country bumpkin with all the regulations put forward. So in some way, you remember those crazy tea partiers who were talking about like Agenda 2030 or something like that, or Agenda 2050, something like that, or Agenda 21? I think in some ways they're the, describing- I'm sorry, you're, you're referring to the depopulation UN uh, theory? Kind of, yeah, or where they say like everybody's kind of pushed to the cities and stuff. I think it's kind of right because they need the the people need the, the gig economy slaves to deliver their food, so they need to For... live in they need to live in like the apartments surrounding the in city interior, okay. and then they need to work and then deliver all their food and their. Whatever. It's a little it's a little ambiguous right now because. Before COVID, for example, people were leaving the Bay Area in record numbers. Like, aren't they you, leaving now? They're well, leaving now. 
but 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 the, the the point I want to make is this: people were leaving the Bay Area in record numbers before COVID because everybody was being priced out. Even millionaires were being priced out by billionaires in San Francisco. That's oh yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, but this is how crazy it's getting, right? And, and it was even that if you called moving companies, they would say, uh, "We can't move you for the next uh, month or two because we're just booked. Uh, we, we, we're just like." we're just booked with this massive exodus of that's why they're moving to other cities who want to leave the barrier right but then covid hits and then all the tech companies are like you guys can just work from home now and so now you have a lot of people um a lot of uh, uh professional people leaving um the city as well and then you have some of these lower income people who are actually moving back in and grabbing some of these cheap apartments in san francisco so it's a little it's it's definitely a little bit of a shit show right now but what i'm saying is is that long term like over the course of like the next hundred years, um, worst case scenario or, or kind of what I see is like a, a return to a kind of techno feudalism will be that the the small elite who will be kind of bunkered in their cities will just need human labor less and less and less. And as a result, you're just going to be pushing the excess human population out of the cities and into the country. That's just kind of the general trend I see. And to me, my overall point was that it's kind of just a return to the historical norm that the 20th century was what the anomaly was. No, no, I see exactly what you're saying, but I feel like all of those places that are outside of the city are going to be part of the city, if that makes sense. They're going to, they're it still going to be there. It does, and what I'm saying is that's kind of, um, that, that's a little bit optimistic compared to what, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm thinking about. <laughs> if they but actually... it's really not, because they're going to be supervised and just like, you know, people want to keep tabs on yeah. the... Well, we we, we, volunteer, want, we volunteer our information now too. So that's very true. So the the societies of control are going to be like a lot different. Also, other thing, also other things I have are, I feel like people are just going to pull, just have lockdowns for climate change. I think that's going to be a thing. Bio I mean, yeah. and the and the thing is like the reason why I feel like there's going to be a concerted effort to make people live kind of closer to the cities, even if they don't live in the desirable parts or under the noblesse oblige of their corporate overlords within the campus. I feel like, um, you know, people are going to want to track how much energy usage or how how much, uh, how many, how much resources people use. Like, you know, this, you'll have a paltry UBI if you're lucky, and then you'll have smart meters on your home. And if you're using too much water, like no more water for you or something like that, like you'll this, have an allocated amount. This uh, heavily managed, heavily supervised, um, dare I say, uh, nanny state future that you seem to be talking about seems to strike a um, what we like to think of as being masculine or traditionally masculine um and i do want to ask you about men Um, yeah what do you think the number one problem with men in general you may generalize as much you may generalize it well sandra what do you think the number one problem uh, uh with men today is the number one problem with men goodness gracious this is really rough if you had to pick um well i think they've been I think a lot of men have been sort of emasculated by <laughs> the places they live in. Like they can't be men anymore. I have some I have some aesthetic questions for you. Um, 
that, that pertain to men. How, how would you define gentlemanliness versus simping? Goodness gracious. I think people use simping uh, quite a lot to just paper over the fact that they are so bereft of any emotional ability to connect with people. And it's just a term that's used liberally. Um, I would say simping is basically partaking in a parasocial relationship where you are you are offering where you are offering resources to somebody who doesn't care about you as much in return and just sees you as like a number or like um, a source of income. Which, truth be told, like you know, you know. Uh, I guess in traditional marriages, that was also the case, but the wife would also have coitus with her husband and, you know, bear his children and stuff. So I guess that's what simping is. But if you're just talking to a girl online or fraternizing and being polite, I don't think that necessarily qualifies as simping that just means you're talking to the other half of the population which <laughs> if you don't talk to the other half of the population you're basically denying yourself you know interesting conversations with right. half the population it's funny simping just seems to be like cooties for adults how people use it it's like, basically cooties it's basically, to, yeah, it, it's basically a bunch of cooties. men People who say simping like con constantly, I just imagine like a Cheeto dust covered <laughs> individual who's really stuck in a protracted adolescence and due to a set of unfortunate circumstances or whatever this modernity is like or liquid modernity is, they just are not fully grown men and they're just they're just afraid of women. I, I don't know. Like, you know, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, and a lot of the times the people who talk about simping, they simp the hardest. You well, know? isn't that, <laughs> isn't that always the case? Yeah. Um, uh, how do you define erotic versus pornographic? That, that seems to be a, a adjacent debate. Hmm. I say the general distinction between erotic versus pornographic is pornographic. Um, I mean, this is this is a commonly pointed out thing. Like it's just the seeming abundance of choice. Everything is out there. I'll give you an example. I posted a picture of myself, and I was not wearing a bra. I don't wear bras. This is not due to any sort of social justice tirade or anything. I just simply don't like wearing a bra. Um, and my, yeah, my nips were hard, okay? And they were poking through, a, through the shirt. People were really, some men were very, very, like, turned off by this. Or not even turned off, but they were like, now Bimbo Ubermensch is oh no, now she's so slutty. And I'm like, listen, douchebag, I've seen pictures you've liked on Twitter and it's literally all naked women. I've seen you simping. Yeah, I've literally seen you like pictures of gaping holes online and you somehow get so turned off by, well, not turned off, but you're scared of actual eroticism when 
in France oh. for, you know, people, people's nips. They, people don't wear bras, okay? And it's just, they, they're scared of it because actual eroticism has slapped them in the face. You know? It's very weird. Like, or they'll, they'll follow, they'll follow pages of like, of they'll follow trad accounts of like naked women running through the wheat fields. Sure. Right. But for some reason, if it's a girl behind the actual account and she's not wearing a bra, but she's wearing a garment on, on top of her, like she's covered. That's somehow it's too real. It's not distanced enough for them, you know? That's interesting. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. That these dudes can be watching, uh, you know, uh, HD gangbang uh, crazy porn. But if they see some not even, a... not even necessarily HD gangbang porn, <laughs> but like they'll follow they'll follow accounts they'll follow trad accounts because it's usually this type of man um, who thinks they're like a Casanova, but they are clearly not a Casanova. And then they follow these accounts of these trad accounts of women wearing like cottage core smut and it's just as just as if not more right 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 revealing than whatever the hell i was wearing and, but just, just they don't clarify, know the girl behind the count right. they don't know the girl in the picture they know some guy running this trad aesthetics account but if it's me posting my picture it's all of a sudden a problem uh, just to clarify, I, I I still think that those guys are watching um, crazy gangbang porn when they're when they're not um, <laughs> trying oh, yeah, to do absolutely. the weird virtue signaling on on Twitter. Yeah, I'm saying on Twitter they that's those are the pictures they like, but in their spare time and what have you, they will definitely be watching the gangbang porn, and then they'll feel really sad and they'll go on nofap and then they'll say I'm never doing this again, and then they'll go back to Pornhub. But I'm talking about what accounts they follow on Twitter. Because I, I, I know the sorts of accounts they follow on Twitter. And it's like nude bitches running through a wheat field, which I think is beautiful. But the reason they're not afraid of that is because it's not the girl. They don't know the girl running through the wheat fields. Um, right. And it's, you know, that's interesting because that relates uh, to the gays. Yeah. Yes. The gays where it's like, it's okay to have in, in the old days, it was okay to gaze at a painting of a nude woman, as long as the woman appeared to not know that you were there. So it's like, it's okay as long as you're just a peeping Tom. But if she recognizes your gaze, like, like Venus of Urbino, um, that was considered to be really salacious. The, well, exactly. That's why it's more salacious because it's the girl behind the account posting her own picture. She knows yeah. people are looking at the picture. Yeah. Precisely. Oh, that's very, that's, fuck, that is really something. Um, that's exactly what I've even, been talking about. And yeah, and I wasn't even, <laughs> I wasn't even, yeah, naked, like not even in the slightest. It's really funny, actually. Oh, well, enough about men. We got to talk about the fate of the bimbos. Oh my gosh, yes. Let's talk about them. What is feminism's I, greatest accomplishment? I guess feminism's greatest accomplishment. Let me hit you with that, Sandra. Uh, I guess if you're in a truly abusive situation, there are now avenues to escape that truly abusive situation. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um like the pursuit of agency which is i think a beautiful thing but that's not 
that's not what we're seeing really now it's contingent on victimization it's the simultaneous victimization and also look at me go like look at me take over the world and i'm like the the, the whole girl a man boss could thing. do it and a man but a man could do it better like i saw a picture of nancy pelosi surrounded by secret service female secret service agents and some twitter feminist was like this is so cool this is awesome <laughs> i would not want to have female secret service agents you know i don't i think i'm sure women there are women who can fight better than other women there are women who can fight other men if they're agile enough but uh, as a great great rule of thumb i would like to have male secret service agents if i was in that position and i just i don't see what's wrong with acknowledging this reality like there's nothing wrong with it and people people skim out of the world is just completely grounded in comic books and like dc marvel karate like yeah 90 pound karate woman uh kicking 400 pound dudes through doors and stuff right yeah or like gal gadot killing a man i mean listen she knows krav maga and i have no doubt she could do a lot of damage especially to i'm sure if it was like a little maybe a little palestinian kid <laughs> well i was but... gonna say gal gal at least was in was a soldier she's in the idf a lot of these other yeah. starlets that's not that's not the case no at least gal was in the idf and she could do damage to people throwing like rocks at her or who might stab mm. her but you know shoot a gun what what does scar joe know what does amber heard know i mean she can cut off a, somebody's thumb a little bit of and shit in their bed a little bit of string karate and some CGI. Well, follow-up question: What is feminism's greatest failure? Oh, it's just the it's just the people lying to themselves. I think the biggest failure is the advent of just adopting the most maladjusted characteristics of corporate men, mm-hmm. and just like because of a bunch of women entering the workforce employers were like oh you know initially we thought this was really annoying that we had some women who wanted to be more than a secretary but this is actually great because this influx of labor means we can we can lower their wages significantly and so now both people have to work and who's going to take care of the kids some some shitty daycare Right. And the baby's cortisol levels are like fucking shit, and it's just terrible. And then the and then the the consolation or the the message that I think is told to these women is, hey, you can be the female Gordon Gecko. You can be you can be the girl boss. Isn't that what you wanted? Yeah, and it's just like no, you know, I don't. But I have to because I want to put my kid through a decent school and buy a home that's not a shack and you know but i don't want that i'm hoping that with the advent of remote work nationalism maybe i could work from home and also deal with kids in tow in the future but like uh, as i said my fears for remote work nationalism include jobs getting outsourced to somebody in a hyderabad or some shit or 
you know, basically, you know, just like people, people may want you to come back into the office again. I don't think all work is um, made to be done remotely. And who knows, maybe the field I'm in is going to be going to be so tactile that I might have to be like at a physical location. So. Well, the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about was um, the whole bimbo ubermensch uh, vitalist aesthetic and maybe a lot of the things we've been talking about, like making fun of um, lefty soy boys and that, that sort of thing. Uh, could very easily get construed as being alt-right or neo-reactionary or fascist or all of these other things. But you yourself are brown and Jewish. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Judaism and how you came to see the light of the Torah. Well, that's a really, really long story, but basically I can boil it down to this. Um, ever since like my early adolescence and like having Jewish neighbors and considering that maybe there's potential care ancestry. I didn't want to be a mom's ear or a bastard. So eventually at some point I was like, oh, okay. I have to go through a conversion process because most Jews are rabbinic Jews now. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess what I really liked is the communal aspect. Um, it was It's almost Proudhonian in a way. It's almost... You know, there's there's actually a communitarian aspect about well, it all. I, I would say, well, I think the, the biggest difference between Judaism and the other two Abrahamic religions is that, uh, and, and maybe even more so Christianity than Islam, but they have a strong emphasis on the salvation of the individual person's soul and the afterlife, whereas Judaism does not emphasize that as much and, and absolutely not and, yeah and, and, and emphasizes sort of uh, community salvation in this life yeah there's a real emphasis on the here and now um i mean there is acknowledgement of the afterlife but it's not nearly as it's not it's not central right it's not central it's um you know you even have some sources saying like the longest you can stay in hell is like up to 12 months if you're really bad like a really bad person you're gonna do a year in hell boy check yeah like if you're you messed if, up I, i'm sorry you, you, you're doing a year in hell yeah yeah that's <laughs> like a you have to be a really shitty person to go to hell for a year although you know you could what is a year when you think about time eternally? A year could be a very long time, so you never really know. Um, a year of perpetual torment would be a very long year. Yeah, that would be a very long year. But, you know, there, there's really not as much of a discussion of, like, fire and brimstone. Right. Especially to the other Abrahamic counterparts. Um, I guess... In some capacity, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I am reactionary in the sense that, you know, Marx also, like, was friends with Balzac. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like I don't like to, I don't when I see where the future is headed, I don't like it. I So th- maybe th- I kind of want to go back. A little bit a little bit a little bit reactionary. I guess if you're if you're if you are Ubermensch, if you're making your own creating your own values, right? Um you you can you can draw from whatever historical sources you see necessary. Yeah, exactly. I mean I want to look forward, but I think people need to have really frank discussions about what is progress? Where are we progressing? Is this progress actually conducive to solidaristic pro-social behavior? Or are we progressing towards something that's increasingly atomized and individualistic and just anti-human in every single way. Well, what do you think dusty old Judaism in particular can teach us about our image-obsessed, hyper-postmodern, technified nightmare world? Is there is there a shul for all of us? Is there a nice little kibbutz we can all we can all get behind, Jew and Gentile alike? Well, I mean, the first things first is in many ways the concept of charity um in this case tzedakah is something that is very 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 i'd say important and i think it's important to know your neighbor i think if you one thing that would be nice is in the midst of all this austerity is to see people embracing this multi-gen aspect right and passing a home down through the generations because you may not be able to afford a home on your own but if you pass down a cherished home that you keep and maintain through generations and you have family members together so while the two parents might be working outside of the home and in some soviet sense you'd have like grandparents connecting with their grandchildren right so that's nice. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of Jewish tradition I think everybody could learn is the importance of some sort of regimentation in this, especially something like Shabbat. Um, you know, if you, you don't have to like observe it, obviously no one is, no one is told to do that. You know, it's not a requirement, but there's something to be said about having um, dinner at a specified time and putting away your phone, which sometimes I don't follow that rule. Um, <laughs> but it's good to put your phone away and to have dinner at a specified time at a table well, maybe every day you, and not in front of a screen. Right. You need maybe, maybe more than ever, we'll, we'll need a little bit of the old time religion to force us to do some actual human socializing. Yeah, and I mean, there's just this, people are so afraid of the, the metaphysical, the, um, the, the supernatural, because a lot of people's religion now is basically something that's sanctioned by the state and by corporate, this unholy alliance. Quantification and is the religion, yeah. It's the quantification, it's just um, the... Uh, just the appearance of meritocracy that Mm -hmm. that is the religion even though it's a lie 
it's basically this worshiping of standardized testing this worshiping of like the religions the, the new gods that people follow i think humanity is always attracted to a god you know people always want to be in service of something higher certain ideals certain values mm-hmm. the gods of back then are better than the gods we have now the gods we have now are based on these arguments surrounding vulgar efficiency. They're based around um, enriching people who do not care about you and would want to see you die if you don't produce anything for them anymore. And I mean, why would you want to be in service of a god like that who is, you know, not keen on having everybody in the same room together, you know, helping each other out? that's like anti-communal like completely individualistic i don't know why anyone would want to be in service of a god like that it's not lindy there's a reason why also for some reason these new gods there is no accountability to your soul like at least there was some like there's no accountability for a girl who just like you know plays with crystals all day like there's no discipline there's like no set of measures right there's nothing there's nothing there involving self improvement they aren't beholden to anything involving any self improvement i'd say with other uh, like actually existing you know at least with like traditional abrahamic religions there's some accountability right like don't lie don't cheat don't steal there's a yeah there's a there's a moral accountability that's ele- elevated to a cosmic sense actually that you're, you're you're ultimately going to be judged by um the deity yeah exactly there's at least accountability the only accountability the the gods of today have is like um what you're doing does it affect somebody else's profit margins or not that's literally it well, I guess it's interesting living in a in, in our big tech surveillance society is that you just eventually accept that you're you're being watched all the time and you just stopped caring. At least when at least when God is watching you <laughs> in the old religion, at least when God is watching you, you you, you might feel some uh, uh, pang of guilt at some point. Yeah, and at least you feel like you'll get something out of it. Like, what do you get out of this? <laughs> some some promise of safety, like a completely <laughs> sterile existence. Not much, no. Yeah, I mean, what do you really get out of it? Like, I think in the future, I mean, we already see that now. Like, I'm not going to be surprised if I might want to scrub all of my social media clean or delete. I mean, it's out there, but, you know, I don't, I'm sort of reticent because at some point they're going to be asking you to not even be anonymous. I'm not anonymous, but like, Mm -hmm. you're not even going to have that option. I mean, you really don't because you, when you apply to certain social media platforms, you have to give your number. So, you know, they have tabs on you. But I like, mean, I, I just recently put Schizotopia on my actual resume because it's like, th- these are my skills. <laughs> I don't, you're, you're going to find out about this anyway. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's, th- this is the, I feel like the way people are going to be surveilled is going to be so fine-tuned and seemingly humanitarian that it's not even going to seem like a control society, but it is. Like, I have this hypothesis that jails, like, 
actual prisons, even privatized prisons, might go the way of the dodo in some respects because it might be cheaper to just surveil people from home. Like it'll be seen as a great thing. Like, oh, you know, house arrest. You have uh, to stay at I home. See what you're saying. I see what you're saying. My my thing was I always thought you would get automated jails where um, the only way that you would get fed or that you would get um, the lights turned off that, so that you could sleep would be through group activities. That was my that that was my uh, idea about. Where That's another thing. But the whole point is with increasing austerity and everything, there will be ways to seem humanitarian yeah, yeah. and seem good and seem. But, oh, but I, could, I could see it. Jeff Bezos prison abolition where he's like, it's like, Oh, I'm going to, we're going to replace, uh, we're going to replace these nasty prisons. Everyone hates so much with, with, um, with home arrest. With home arrest. And I'll tell you why that's better because it's cheaper. You don't yeah. have any obligation to clothe the prisoner to feed them. So you get a and, parole and, app. Oh my God. You get a parole app. If you break parole, they turn the app off. You can't buy anything. Exactly. And I mean, this is already happening. Say what you will about somebody like Laura Loomer or uh, white supremacists or people who are into white nationalism. It's very disconcerting to see people not allowed to bank, not allowed to use Zelle, not allowed to use PayPal, not allowed to use a myriad of apps and platforms and infrastructure online that is essential to living and will become increasingly essential for living. And when people say, oh, well, this is a private corporation. Perhaps you should have done this, this, and this, and then you wouldn't be banned from these platforms. And they said, and they'll say like, oh, it's a private corporation. So maybe you can just do stuff in the real world. Well, what is the real world? The it's world's a giant corporation. <laughs> yeah, and it's the not... The real world's a giant corporation that you can't escape. It, exactly. And, you know, what the, the, the real world options are not even options. And, you know, they're so thoroughly degraded and not there that you're not even going to be able to conduct business okay. in this, any way. This has gotten, this interview has gotten wildly blackpilled. Um <laughs> but no so what i'm saying is with social credit and like this is this is what i mean by vulgar efficiency mm-hmm. this is exactly what i'm talking about somebody like bezos saying home arrest is the future yeah. is due to some arguments regarding vulgar efficiency it's more efficient and cheaper for people to be under arrest at home than to clothe and house and feed a prisoner in a facility and it just shows the wealth inequality some people are going to be trapped in 500 square foot right um like apartments and some people will be in palatial estates some some people will be trapped in in their uh suburban barracks right yeah exactly um how can the boob how can the Excuse me. How can the how can the bimbo Ubermensch overcome this? Okay, what role do they have? We need a white pill badly in here, Sandra. Oh, how, how will the how will the um, the the transvaluing uh, trad wives? How will the transvaluing trad wives <laughs> overcome all of this and lead us into a bright wheat field future? Something you gotta give me. You gotta throw us a white pill at the end here. 
I, well, I guess what I could say is the best thing to do is to try to be like individually optimistic, even if you are as as an aggregate whole, rather pessimistic. Like even if you're directionally correct in seeing where things are going, you the only thing you can do is try to make your life, your individual life better. I mean, this is just the honest to goodness answer. Um, my advice for people is try to get to know other people. I want to get to know other people more. Um, I, if you can get married, get married because consolidation of resources is a good thing. And, you know, I, I would recommend that for a lot of people. Like, take your relationships seriously. Um, I would also recommend if you can find a way to get rid of a bill, find a way to get rid of a payment that you ha you're obligated to pay, get rid of it. If you can cut it out of your life, get rid of it. If there's a way for you to generate your own heat sent, uh, source of heat, go do it. If you can collect rainwater, collect rainwater. Because if there's any way for you to escape certain parts of the technosphere, do it. If there's any way for you to live nearby people you care about, even, you know, friends, some people have shit families. I'm going to acknowledge that right now. Try to do it. Um, and just have this mentality of living large, like living, like, maximally like you know do it you know stuff your home with furniture but you don't need a big home but if you have a small home stuff it with furniture that's way better if you can make something beautiful make it beautiful like you know for the love of god i see people with money and they have the worst taste ever and it's just like you just wasted your money. Congratulations, asshole. And, and, and wasted your life getting the money. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, it's, it's just wasted on people. Like, I, I'm, I mean, try to, I guess the biggest thing is try to make everything mac, as maximally beautiful as you possibly can. Put color in your life. Live nearby people and try to live small but live very well. A a a aesthetics uberalis yeah like i mean <laughs> i i'm just stunned by people who spend millions north north upwards of a, a millions on a million on a house and then they their house is so barren on the inside because they probably can't even afford to furnish it I don't understand. You so, know what I'm talking about? I absolutely Except know what that. you're talking about. I believe me, I live in the land of McMansions. It's so sad. It's like you can get a small craftsman, furnish that to hell, and then just live really well. And then I don't know. What I want to do is host more dinner parties. Is there anyone? Where can people find you? Is there anyone, anything you want to oh, give a shout out to? Well, um, I, my, my post podcast public dopamine is kind of on pause now um i truthfully like due to a myriad of circumstances it's kind of 
on a standstill, but I've been very active on Twitter. You can find me at Bimbo Ubermensch on Twitter. No mm-hmm. underscores, just Bimbo Ubermensch. And you can also find me on Instagram at Sandra underscore is underscore a underscore Solomon. S-O-L-I-M-A-N. It's not S-O-L-O-M-O-N. It's S-O-L-I-M-A-N. My profile pic is John Sargent Singers, <laughs> a nude Egyptian girl from the breast up, including now, her face. Now that is aesthetic. Uh, Sandra, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and before thank you, you. You're so welcome. And before you go, can I get a hail the bimbo Ubermensch? Hail our people. Hail, 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 uh, hail bimbos. Yeah. Hail the bimbo Ubermensch. Hail our people. I guess I just want to give a shout out to people who realize that be that beauty is sometimes more important than brains. And um, I want to give a shout out to everyone from uh, all esthetes, benevolent right wing bodybuilders, <laughs> amazing left comms who have sense like Amy Therese and anyone who acknowledges that we can do better and we must do better. And anyone who is against Bastanian DSA, DNC, pipeline, bullshit, and austerity, anyone anti that. Huey Long, every man a king. That is what we should aim for. We was Kangs and we should be Kangs again, yeah. And so we shall be. We'll, we'll, we'll end it on some Big Daddy Longism. Thank you so much, Sandra. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>